The Seahawks officially have their 18-week schedule for the 2022 season. How do their 17 opponents stack up heading into the upcoming season? Nick Lee and I are going to be breaking them all down with our latest rankings here on our Blue Friday episode of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12s. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Blue Friday episode, my co-host Nick Lee. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. We're going to continue taking a look at the Seahawks 2022 schedule ranking all 14 of their opponents for the upcoming season. And we're going to take a look at the defensive depth chart post-draft and make some 53-man roster observations, which players might be on the outside looking in on the defensive side of the football. Jam-packed episode coming your way, so let's get to it. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. One of the biggest storylines yesterday with the NFL revealing the 2022 schedules. The Seahawks will be bringing back an old friend in week one. Russell Wilson, his first game with the Denver Broncos, will be at Lumen Field against his former team, his former head coach, Pete Carroll. And this is, you know, there's so many storylines, Nick, with this being the opener on Monday Night Football. And Rob and I talked about it yesterday, shortly after the schedule was revealed, that this was a gimme for the NFL. You absolutely had to have this. On week one, in prime time, Russ coming back to his old nesting grounds where he played his first 10 seasons. But I think it really creates some interesting dynamics here because you look at guys like Peyton Manning when he played the Colts, or you look at Brett Favre against the Packers. Like They had at least one year removed from their long stints with their original team. Russell Wilson's not even going to have an he's not going to have one regular season snap going into this game. So it really is an unprecedented dynamic for him with his new team going up against the Seahawks. Yeah, I don't think you can find a quarterback of his caliber that switched teams in the middle of his career to then go back and play that same team in his first game in that new uniform. That's like you said, I think that is pretty unprecedented. It's it's uh it, it is it was that 3 foot gimme putt for par that the NFL could not resist. You can't you got to sink that, and if for if for money, because uh, who knows? You know, maybe the Seahawks uh, may have a maybe a bit, a bit of a down year, and this is probably going to be the peak of their value as far as you know viewership goes. Um, so week one, doing that week one uh, certainly made a lot of sense. There's a lot of angles we can take with this. Obviously, um, Russell Wilson going to a Denver Broncos team that most ex- expect to be competing for AFC West title and and going deep into the playoffs in January. Um, and going to a team that has an offensive coach, an offensive-minded coach, and he's got weapons, um, you know, maybe maybe a full bevy of weapons with some of the legal stuff going on over there. Um, but certainly uh, a lot of tools over over at the Bronco with the Broncos to to make him hopefully set him up for success. And on the Seahawks side, what I what I think here, I, I tweeted this out, is uh, the the advantage of having this week one for the Seahawks, and maybe this is an advantage even if it's not week one is I think we can agree that all the pressure is on Russell Wilson. All the pressure is on Russell Wilson. He has to come in here with his his new hot girlfriend, you know, 
and uh, and impress everybody and show out and say, look what you're missing here. But if he doesn't do that, that then that's on him. That's a disappointment. There's no, there, I mean, there's little expectations for the Seahawks this year as far as a national opinion. And so that most expect Russell Wilson to come in and, and do his business and, and come out of Seattle with a win and, and disappoint the, the 12s, which is a weird thing to say, <laughs> by the way, still. Um, but the, the pressure is on Russell Wilson. It absolutely is. But Pete Carroll and his defense especially are going to be ready. I think the two men that have the most pressure on them going into this game are Russell Wilson and Drew Locke. And that's assuming Drew Locke starts in week one. And I've already made my opinion of, on that known. I think Geno Smith's got a very good chance to be the starter in this game going up against Russell Wilson, who he was the backup for for the last several seasons. And I think that creates an intriguing storyline by itself. But Drew Locke would have a chance going up against his former team to have his own revenge game in week one. And so I think the most interesting thing just – with the schedule coming out yesterday, we're going to have a lot of time to investigate a lot of different angles going to this game. But I think that, you know, a lot of us thought maybe week one was going to happen. But again, this has never happened before. There's never been a quarterback of Russell Wilson's caliber that's changed teams and then turned right around and, hey, first game, you had to face your former team, your former coach and Pete Carroll, a defensive coach at that. And I just think that creates such a fascinating case study here because Russell Wilson's going to be in his first game running a new offense. He's not going to play much, if at all, in the preseason. So this is going to be his first real game reps in this new offense with his new receivers, a new offensive line that's going to be learning what he does and doesn't do behind uh, under center. And so that creates some interesting dynamics by itself. And then on the other side, Pete Carroll, no coach in the NFL knows Russell Wilson's strengths and weaknesses better than Pete Carroll after coaching him the last 10 years. And as a defensive-minded coach, they've added personnel to help with those middle-of-field open coverages that have bothered Russell Wilson the last couple of years. They've got the coaching staff that is going to be able to employ those types of strategies. They believe their pass rush is going to be better, more potent than it was with the additions they've made and the schematic changes. And so it really is going to be a fascinating chess match. Russell Wilson and this offense that this offense under an offensive minded coach that is expected to put up big points, but it's his first time with this team, the first time running this offense. And then you've got Pete Carroll. Hey, yeah, we're changing things up a little bit, but this is still my defense. We're still going to be a really aggressive defense. We like the additions we've made. And so I, this could go either way, and we're going to have a lot of time to debate this, but I just I think it's just extremely fascinating that this matchup is going to be week one because we know season openers are unpredictable to begin with, and this one is going to be especially so. Yeah, I mean, it's the next Seahawks game uh, as far as one does that count. And so it's a pretty pretty exciting thing that you know the lot, Russell Wilson leaves the building uh, this offseason, and all of a sudden you had a scheme to beat that guy. And don't be fooled into thinking that Pete Carroll doesn't know that exactly what would bother Russell Wilson on defense because it's pretty obvious what it is, and Pete Carroll's pretty darn good at it. Even, like you said, there's a bit of a scheme change. But very fascinating, and a lot, lots of stuff to unfold. And this is the time of year where we can beat the schedule to death because that's about as much as we have to, to go on for the next few months besides uh, some OTAs and training camp. Um, but th this is certainly, I would think, one of the more anticipated season opener games in at least the last decade plus. This is going to be 
uh, a really just nationally anticipated game. It's going to be really exciting. And you know ESPN was real fired up about that because their ratings are going to be through the roof. And I guess my question for you, before we move on to the 53-man roster on defense and shift away from this game, we'll be back to covering this game plenty over the next few months. But do you anticipate there are going to be more boos than cheers or the other way around? Because this is the most decorated quarterback in franchise history for the Seahawks, but the way things ended basically forcing his way out. I I don't know what to expect, honestly. I really don't. It's 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 tough. I don't want to speak for all Seattle sports fans, um, for sure. You are you are entitled to to how you feel. And if you want to boo, that's that's your opinion. That's that's how you feel. That's fine. I, if I'm in the stance, which I, I don't think I will be, um, and I have a choice and in, in, in this game, I cheer. I do. Um, got your Super Bowl. I know you can argue that he kind of rode the coattails of the LOB, but look at the stats. Had a great game, had a great Super Bowl, had a great run that year, and he, he was very much a part of that team and got you, got your city, a Lombardi trophy that can never be taken away. Can't can't unhang that banner, can't take that ring off his finger. That's a big deal. So for that reason, I, I would I would I would cheer him. And I think the majority will cheer. I think there'll be a mixture of maybe some booze, but this is not really an A-Rod situation. I know when A-Rod left Seattle, oh boy, <laughs> that was a different scenario altogether. Yeah. But And he's still, to this day, very, very hated. I don't think it's that bad here. I, I mean, not that it's not like A-Rod won them a World Series first or anything. I, I think there is, especially as time passes, and I know it's kind of fresh week one, that the, the appreciation will set in. Uh, maybe Maybe after the season, after that, initial shock of seeing him in a Broncos uniform, but week one, I think there'll be uh, some boos, but I would say it's probably 70, 30 cheers. Yeah. I'm kind of leaning the other direction, but again, who knows what's going to happen. There's going to be things said leading up to that point. It's just, again, it's an unprecedented situation. A quarterback of this caliber, first game with a new team playing his old team. It has never happened. So expect the unexpected at Lumen Field on September 12th. We're going to revisit the defensive depth charts coming out of the draft and rookie minicamp. Where is Seattle improved? Which areas still are questionable on the defensive side of the ball heading towards the start of the 2022 season? We're going to be breaking it all down on our latest 53-man roster review here in a moment. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sporting and waging informational needs, whether it's live betting, the playoffs, esports, and more. Head to their website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet Online, where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Blue Friday edition. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for today's show, Nick Lee. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Earlier this week on our Wednesday episode, Rob and I were taking a close look at the offensive depth chart, kind of that post-draft, post-rookie minicamp, pre-OTAs, 53-man roster review. Now, Nick, we're going to bring you into the fold here to talk defense, and there's been a lot of turnover. Obviously, on offense, the Russell Wilson move was a huge change, but on defense, you don't have Bobby Wagner anymore. They've overhauled their pass rushing group with different personnel to fit more of a 3-4 scheme. 
So looking at that defensive line and where things stand right now, the defensive end group, Daryl Taylor, Shelby Harris, Quentin Jefferson, Vichena Nuosu, Boye Mafe, Alton Robinson, LJ Collier, Tyreek Smith, and Jared Hewitt. So that's mixing in some of your traditional defensive ends with those hybrid edge defensive end outside linebacker types. At the defensive tackle position, basically it's the same group as last year. Puna Ford, Al Woods, Brian Monet, Miles Adams, and Matt Gotell, Tacoma Natives, uh, 341 pounds. And then at linebacker, Jordan Brooks, Cody Barton, Joel Ibuemi, I cannot say his name. <laughs> Joel, I'm just going to call him Iggy, but it's Ayubunue. Ben Burkirvan, John Radigan, Levi Jones, Aaron Doncor, and Lakeem Williams. So there's some guys that were here last year, especially the defensive tackle position, but you've also got some significant changes with your edge rushers and your depth at off-ball linebacker. Yeah, there's there's a good mixture of mainstays or some good mixture of guys coming back along with some new some new talent, new juice, and some old some old friends coming back. Quentin Jefferson, I'm pretty excited about his return. Uchenna Nuosu, I think, is a sneaky good pickup and, and could pay big dividends. Obviously, we're really excited about Boy Mafe and and his potential as a second round pick. Um starting with defensive ends and then you know the edge Leos. For Daryl Taylor, I'm I am kind of starting to expect Pro Bowl. Like, I really am. I, I think he's that good. I think he has a, a Pro Bowl ceiling. I really do. Six and a half sacks last year. I believe he was second or third, second on the team in pressures with 22 um, and, and just came into his own. And really, was it was a faux rookie season pretty much for him, at least on the field getting actual game reps because uh, he missed 2020. But I just think he's going to get better. And this this year, I think he we could see a breakout from him for sure. So, um, that from that group, I think there's a lot of young talent that if you know things break the right way, that defensive end group could become one of the more solid groups of defensive ends in football. I look at these groups and I said this a little bit about the offensive line on Wednesday's episode. I thought it was pretty cut and dry, which guys are going to make the team. Now there's some debate about who's going to start at right tackle. There's going to be competitions that play out in training camp, but I kind of feel the same way when I look at this defensive end and edge rushing group. I mean, Boye Mafe is going to be on your roster as a second round pick. Nuosu, with the money they gave him, is going to be a starter probably across from Daryl Taylor. Alton Robinson, they're not going to give up on him yet. This is going to be a transition for him being a 3-4 outside linebacker, but he's athletic enough to do it. And even Tyreek Smith, a guy they picked in the fifth round, I think his versatility, and he's a guy that could play 4-3 defensive end for you in your regular fronts. They're still going to do that some. I think Tyreek Smith is going to be a guy that has some value. So I don't see a lot of crazy competitions playing out there where there's guys battling with their roster spots on the line. Defensive tackle is even more cut and dry. It's the same group of guys as last year. Puna Ford, Al Woods, Brian Monet, those are going to be your top three. Maybe Miles Adams can compete for a roster spot. But I mean, they're going to be probably keeping just those three guys that I mentioned. And you can mix in Quentin Jefferson and Shelby Harris to play inside on pass rushing downs. So they've got bodies. They've got the guys that they need. Linebackers probably where I'm most curious to see how things play out just because of injuries. Ben Burkirvin's coming back from an ACL tear. John Radigan's coming back from an ACL tear. He's much further behind on his progress because his injury happened in December 
Burke Irvin got hurt in August last year in the preseason. So there's a big gap there, but both of them are making really good progress, according to Pete Carroll. So there are some question marks there. And Levi Jones, the undrafted rookie out of North Carolina State, I think he is absolutely going to be in play for one of those roster spots, especially if those two returning guys are not 100% healthy. That will, you know, that'll open up some reps for this kid to be able to jump into the lineup in the preseason and maybe steal a spot. He's really good on special teams to go with it, with which is crucial to pick up one of those last roster spots. Yeah, there, there isn't there. There's a not a ton of those, you know, f- big competitions where one guy's there's just gonna be this huge, you know, cut where people are gonna be super upset. I don't think there's it's gonna be really yeah cut and dry. For better for better term, John Radigan is certainly a wild card in that with his injury, and if, I think he was farther along in his rehab and in, in his progression, he would certainly absolutely be more in the mix. And even if he is you know, a bit behind, I think he's still in the mix. Um, Joel Iggy, I think that's I'm, I'm gonna call him Joel Iggy for right now. Uh, <laughs> he, he's certainly intriguing as well, and obviously Jordan Brooks, Cody Barton. I think we're gonna finally figure out just what the Seahawks have in Cody Barton. Um, as a full, full-on football player, full-on linebacker, which is exciting. Either way, you're going to find out. Um, and for me, it's uh, the defensive tackles are there. I think another one to, to look for, at least in the defensive line, that I think is is a bit at risk is LJ Collier. I just LJ Collier and Jared Hewitt. I think that battle could go down in the end. I really do. I think that that could be. You know, you're thinking about the money situation with LJ Collier. He has been I- immensely disappointing as far as a first round pick. And I, I, I now hold that first round pick more against this regime than I do Rashad Penny. And, and that's obviously with what Rashad Penny did later last year, but this is just atrocious at the usage and production of LJ Collier as a first round pick. And the, and Jared Hugh can come in there with a the high motor, lots of aggression and, and steal a spot. I really do. So I think that could be one of the more interesting battles as we go into camp. Yeah, I think that that might be one to watch. I do have some curiosity about how LJ Collier is going to fit into a 3-4 defense, though. And he actually has played in a two-point stance out wide at TCU, and he was actually pretty good at it. So I wouldn't rule out the Seahawks scene if they could try to do something like that with him from a depth perspective. I don't know where you would fit in with the bodies they've added, but certainly they're going to give him opportunities. I'm just curious now with this scheme change, if it might actually benefit him or not, but how damning would it be if you're a former first round pick and you lose out on your job to an undrafted guy who was just a practice squad player last year? I would not rule that out though. I think anything's possible with that in terms of competitions, looking at the secondary, I think this is where we are going to see a lot more activity from a competition standpoint with what Seattle has done. They re-signed Sidney Jones. They lost DJ Reed to the Jets. Artie Burns comes in from the uh, Chicago Bears. Trey Brown's coming back from a patellar tendon injury. That is never easy to do. Kobe Bryant, Tariq Woolen, both drafted fourth and fifth round a few weeks ago. John Reed's returning. Michael Jackson's coming back. He played well in a couple games that he got to play on the 53-man roster last year. And they have an undrafted guy in Josh Turner. At the slot cornerback position, you basically got a three-way battle here. Justin Coleman, Marquise Blair, Ugo Amadi. That's going to be an intense competition at the nickel spot. Safety, you don't have as much drama. Jamal Adams and Quandre Diggs will be back healthy. Ryan Neal's a very good backup. They re-signed Josh Jones. Bubba Bolden from Miami is an undrafted free agent to watch. He's got good size. He's a hard hitter. 
He has range. He was inconsistent at Miami, but he's a guy that the Seahawks are pretty high on. And they got a couple of other undrafted rookies in the safety position. They're going to be taking a close look at, including Joey Blunt coming from Virginia. So maybe one of those UDFAs can push a player like Ryan Neal or Marquise Blair because of his injury history going to the final year of his deal. But that safety position, I would think there's not going to be a lot of drama. Outside corner and slot corner, though, if you're a guy like Artie Burns, you sign to the Seahawks and then they go and they draft two corners. Trey Brown comes back healthy. Now you're suddenly wondering, not only am I wondering about potentially competing for a starting job, will I be on the roster in week one? That's a fair thing to wonder. It really is. Uh, especially with the two corners, Kobe Bryant and Tariq Woolen, very outside cornery, <laughs> very just that, that kind of physique, that kind of skill set. Um, and you don't draft two corners back to back pretty much. And unless you, in, if you're, if you're feeling really great about the cornerback position as it stands. So yeah, I, I would be a little bit worried if I were already burns and, and, you know, the John Reeds and, and those guys of the world certainly will be will, will be watched and, and, and be under a lot of pressure to perform. I think this is going to be maybe the most competitive group in, in camp is corner. I'm really excited to see what, what's going what, what goes on with with uh, the corners at camp. Um, and because we were discussing before the show, you can't cut Tariq Woolen. That's just not going to work. That's just. He's he going to get, get snatched up. up two seconds. Oh after my gosh. He will get snatched up between fashion. Then you can order a coffee at Starbucks. He will get so he will get snatched up so fast. So um, he's obviously out. Kobe Bryant, I think is maybe instant starter material. I really do. And then you have, you know, other saga, Sidney Jones and you know, it's, it, it just keeps going. Um, Trey Brown. Yeah. I'm really excited about what I saw from him. And if he's healthy, where do you put everybody? That's that's a good problem to have, I guess. Cornerback, I, I think, could be one of the more crowded rooms in, in, in camp, but for good reasons. Yeah, I think, you know, you look at the last three out. It's mid-May, so these things are fluid. But if I had to right now say who my last three players are that aren't making this roster, Artie Burns would be the very last guy taken off the list because I do think he's a, he's got some special teams ability. He played well in Chicago. Sean Desai was his coordinator, so... That may benefit him, but I just look at the rookies they drafted. Trey Brown coming back. You've got Sidney Jones returning. I just don't know that there's a spot for him, especially if you're going to be keeping guys like Justin Coleman around. And I think Justin Coleman's probably your slot corner. He's still a very good player. He's been the best slot corner they've had in the John Schneider, Pete Carroll era, the two years he was here. And he was still productive last year in Miami. Ugo Amadi has been inconsistent. Marquise Blair has played well, but he's been hurt so much. I mean, there's just a lot of question marks there. Justin Coleman, you don't have that with because he's been reliable. He's been durable. He's a good fit for multiple schemes. He's just a really good slot corner. But there will be a competition that's going on there with those three players. On the outside, you're going to have a number of guys jockeying for position on the depth chart. Uh, and those rookies, I think, have a chance, especially Kobe Bryant, on day one to make things interesting competing at one of those starting spots. Woolen might have the higher ceiling with his athletic traits, but yeah, that's where your drama is going to be at. I would say that Artie Burns, Bubba Bolden, probably the first two guys that would be off my list. Cause I think Bolden is a very intriguing player, but those would be two guys that I think are your last ones on the outside that are looking in. And then on the linebacking core, as I mentioned, uh, Levi Jones, I think, is a guy that's going to be in the mix, too. And if they've got Ben Burkirvan back healthy, if somehow John Radigan's back by that point, then it's going to be really hard for him to make the team. But I think this is a 
undrafted free agent that absolutely should be on everybody's radar. So those would be the three guys that I think are the closest cuts when we get to September. Yeah, I'm with you uh, with Bolden and Artie Burns. I think that that secondary is pretty crowded, and for, and th- that's a good thing at this point. And those two um, might get squeezed out, but it'll be close with some of their special teams value. And then my last one that uh, is different from yours is LJ Collier. I really think that he is in trouble. I, I think and maybe they can find something like you mentioned with a bit of the scheme change. Um, but Jared Hewitt, he can bring something to the table. And it just I'm I'm not getting my hopes up with some with how disappointing he's been, so uh, he's on my list as 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 the as uh, one of the first three outs, the first three cuts, or the, the the last three or the first three that don't make the roster. I guess is what we're really trying to say. L.J. Collier for me is on that list. Yeah, he's got a ton of pressure on him going into this last year to try to show, hey, I can redeem some value here, especially with the fact he was a healthy scratch for seven games last year. You know, that's a bad omen regardless of when you were drafted. But as a former first-round pick in your third year, and he was a starter all 16 games the year before, that's what's even crazier about all that. Just just had a really rough camp of preseason. Maybe he shows up and, and balls, and that would be a really good development for the Seahawks. But I'm with you. It's tough to be optimistic with the way things went for him last year. We're going to revisit the schedule here in a moment. We're going to rank Seattle's 14 opponents from – the easiest opponents to the most difficult. And there might be a little bit of debating as we dive into this ranking here on our Blue Friday episode. Imagine dipping your finger into that plastic tub of birthday cake frosting and then opening your eyes and realizing it was only 150 calories and 16 grams of protein. My inner fat boy would be extremely excited about that. That is what it is like to eat a birthday cake puff from Built Bar. I just received my birthday cake puffs, and I've never had anything like this before. They are absolutely delicious. I had three of them when I opened the box this morning. Can't promise they're going to be there tomorrow on Built.com, so make sure to check them out now and make sure you can try these really delicious birthday cake puffs. If you haven't tried puffs, I'm going to let you in on a secret because that's what friends do. A chocolate-covered marshmallow protein bar. You heard me. Delicious flavored marshmallow covered in 100% real chocolate. 150 calories, 16 grams of protein, and just 9 grams of sugar. This limited-time flavor is an amazing option if you are looking for a healthy way to get flavor and variety in your day. Regular Built Bars also are covered in 100% chocolate, less than 200 calories, less than 5 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Go to Built.com right now to get your birthday cake puffs and use the promo code LOCK15 to get 15% off your order. Again, that's built.com. Use the code LOCK15 for 15% off. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Blue Friday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for today's show, Nick Lee. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Yesterday, the NFL released the regular season schedules for all 32 teams. It's truly become a holiday for football fans. Smack dab in the middle of the last Super Bowl and the start of the next training camp. Fans are looking for something to get excited about. And so it, it truly has become a major event for football and sports fans in general. You didn't obviously get to be on the show yesterday. So this will be the first time we really get to dive into all of Seattle's opponents. And you and I thought we normally do games on Friday it's time to rank these opponents. And we're going to go from weakest to strongest. And obviously, there's no such thing as a weak NFL team, but that's what makes this entire process fun. So, Nick, let's get to it here. 
how this is going to work. We've got our 14 spots. We've got 14 teams. And you're going to be in charge of the evens on the list. And I'm going to have the odds. So I'm going to dish it right to you right now. Who of Seattle's 14 opponents is the weakest one and why? Just a couple of guys, a couple of names you could probably throw in there. But I, I think the one that sticks out to me is the, the Atlanta Falcons. Atlanta Falcons are uh, they're obviously in search of their next future quarterback. They hope it's Desmond Ritter, but you're throwing Desmond Ritter in week or week one or year one. It doesn't strike me as a guy that that's really is is ready to to totally. I I think he was one of the more NFL ready of the rookies. That doesn't necessarily mean he'll succeed in year one. That's a big difference. Um, you know they they have some talent. AJ Terrell, Kyle Pitts, obviously. Um, but they have a lot of work to do, a lot of work to do. In some ways, they're they're kind of similar to the Seahawks in that way, where they, they just traded away their franchise quarterback a decade plus. They got a lot of holes to fill. I think the Seahawks have filled the holes a bit different and a bit better than the Falcons have. But, yeah, the, the Falcons, at least on the list right now, looking at it, I, I think are the worst team. Yeah, I was torn between two teams on this, and I, I would go with the Falcons as well. The other team that would be in consideration – is the Carolina Panthers. So we're staying in the NFC South. And Carolina, like Atlanta, they've got some talent. you got Brian Burns rushing off the edge, a really athletic pass rusher. Christian McCaffrey, if he's healthy, that has not been the case the last couple of years, but he's still a dynamic playmaker. They've got a couple of decent receivers. But the problem is the offensive line has been atrocious. Sam Darnold has been a nightmare. Former first-round pick out of USC. They thought a change of scenery was going to work. It did not last year. And the only other addition they made a quarterback, they drafted Matt Corral out of Ole Miss in the third round, but he's probably not ready to start on day one. And you're paying a lot of money to Sam Darnold. I just, I look at that team and I think that it is set up to potentially push the Atlanta Falcons for the worst team in that division and potentially one of the top couple draft picks next year. So Matt Rule, uh, I think the seat is just getting really warm for him. There's a chance he might not even survive this season. That's the way I view the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, that's a tough way to start a year. <laughs> For number 12, we're going to go to the NFC East. The Giants have been a mess for, for a while. Um, I'm not a huge Daniel Jones fan. I, I really am not. Said Even when they drafted him, I'm not a draft guru. I'm not, you know, Mel Kuyper. I'm not a quarterback guy. I'm like, Daniel Jones? Really? Really? That's who, you, <laughs> that's who you're throwing all your chips in with? And still, we're, you're four now. Daniel Jones, really? <laughs> That's kind of what we're still saying. Um, yeah, 41.5 QBR last year, less than 85.0 passer rating, just not getting it done. Uh, and Saquon Barkley has largely been disappointing ever since his, his initial surge in the league. You know, injuries have really caught up to him a little bit. Um, so they got a lot of work to do, too. And, and I think the only reason why they're not last is because they kind of have a starting quarterback. <laughs> and <laughs> that's about it. Yeah, I really think Brian Dable is going to be the right coach for them, but there's enough holes. I like their draft. I think they're getting some pieces, but the quarterback, I'm just not sold on Daniel Jones at this point. Now, at number 11, I'm staying in the NFC, and this is a team that I think could be a sleeper playoff team. That shows you where Seattle's schedule is at, because this is number 11 out of 14 teams. But I actually, I'm high on the Detroit Lions. I believe in Dan Campbell, Mr. Bite the Kneecaps. His players would have done that for him last year. They didn't win a game till early December, but they were competitive and they were feisty. They were a young team. I like the draft they had. You go out and get Aiden Hutchinson and Jamison Williams. If he's healthy from his ACL tear, probably the best receiver in this draft class. 
So they were able to add those two pieces. Jared Goff's not a great quarterback, but he's better than Daniel Jones. He's been to a Super Bowl. He's at least a competent starter, and I like the young pieces that they are building there, but it's still a team that's probably a year away. I could see him sneaking up on people this year, though. So week four might be good to see after drawing them a little earlier in the season. I could, I could see them being a real pest in the second half. And I'm going to stay in the NFC for number 10 of the Saints. Uh, I, I, I struggle with putting them as low just with how consistent they've been over the years, but we're talking back-to-back years they've lost not just key players, but franchise, you know, Mount Rushmore people in Drew Brees and Sean Payton. And that's that's no small feat to try and replace. You know, they have, you know, they replaced from Dennis Allen. They got Cameron Jordan, Marcus Davenport, solid group. Marshawn Lattimore is in there as well. Michael Thomas hopefully will be healthy and coming back. Uh, I'm not a huge believer in Jameis Winston. He He's a serviceable starter, kind of what you mentioned. I think you got a rocket arm, but sometimes you don't know where that rocket arm is firing the bullets at. And that's kind of the problem with him. He's kind of, he's truly a gunslinger for better or for worse. Um, and uh, it's, I think the book is kind of out on him or the, the book has been read on him. And I think that the teams know, can scheme against him. He did have a pretty good start last year, five and two before he got hurt. So I think maybe an argument can be made that he, that they need to be higher than 10. Um, but I, there's just a lot of unknowns and a lot of new faces in that building that are making very important decisions. So for now, they're, they're going to be down here, but they could work themselves up. Yeah, this next one is probably going to surprise some of our listeners because this is a team that has consistently been a cellar dweller, but I am all in on Robert Sala and the New York Jets. If Zach Wilson plays a lot better in year two, I still am a believer that he can be a franchise quarterback in the NFL. His rookie year was rough. He missed some games with an injury, but they've gone out. They've added weapons. They got Garrett Wilson for him. They have Elijah Moore in year number two. They also were able to add some pieces on defense. Sauce Gardner might've been the best player in this draft. You just added him to a secondary that's coached by Robert Sala. He is going to be fantastic. Jermaine Johnson, they traded back into the first to get him. I mean, they've got some really exciting young talent And this is a team that was playing better towards the end of last season. I love the coach. I think the players are bought in. I think week 17, this is the opposite of the Detroit Lions. Week 17, Seattle playing them that late in the season, that could be a real problem. This could be a team you don't want to play in the last month or so because I could see them causing fits, maybe even still being in the playoff race at that point. As a BYU fan, I'm crossing my fingers for Zach Wilson rebound. (laughs) Uh, For number eight, uh, I'm going to go to the NFC West, the Seahawks on division, the Arizona Cardinals. Lots of drama surrounding Kyler Murray, uh, and that's not gone away. I know that they brought in Hollywood Brown. Um, really, with, with De- uh, DeAndre Hopkins with that suspension, that could that could play a pretty big role in how this team starts. That That's, that's going to be a, a really big piece missing. And obviously, it's Chandler Jones leaving in, in free agency. That's a big, big loss. A lot of unknowns with this team, a lot of, a lot of departures yep. and a lot of unsettling you know tremors below the surface with this team to where you kind of wonder how strong is the foundation of this franchise and and maybe are they a bit fragile and that another team that can maybe spring up a little bit and 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 play up play better than the eighth best team on the schedule but also team things go wrong that that can spiral we'll have to see yeah, they had a rough offseason, too, with the drama with Kyler Murray and all the other issues they've been dealing with, the suspension for Hopkins, as you mentioned. I'm staying in the NFC West at spot number seven, and it's because of the quarterback position. The San Francisco 49ers 
They have a championship caliber defense. I think it's still going to be an outstanding unit led by Nick Bosa and Fred Warner. I like some of the secondary additions that they've made, but I still have some questions at the cornerback spots. And Trey Lance, if he's your starter, he's got great physical tools. But what I saw last year did not suggest to me very limited sample size. This is a kid that didn't play much college ball at North Dakota State. He's got the tools. I just wonder if he's going to be ready to be the guy as the starting quarterback with everything they gave up to trade up to draft him. And you're playing him in week two. I just think Seattle is going to have some success against him. And I think the 49ers could be a team that takes a little bit of a step back just because of that quarterback situation. Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't have a high ceiling, but they have gotten to the NFC Championship game with him twice. It's going to take some time for Trey Lance to get acclimated. I think that's going to impact San Francisco's win-loss record this season. Number six is a team with zero storylines whatsoever, zero emotional tie. No, Denver Broncos. <laughs> um, and really an argument can be made that they could be higher on this list. I think it's just a testament to how solid the top five are for the Seahawks and, and their opponents. I think the Broncos can be, you know, emotions and bias aside, I think they can be a pretty solid team with Russell Wilson. They have pieces for sure. You know, Cortland Sutton, KJ Hamler, and Jerry Judy as receivers. Um, Patrick Chatan, secondary Justin Simmons. One of the better safeties in the league, Bradley Chubb, um, just a solid group around Russell Wilson. Um, it's just a really tough division, and we're going to get into that. Yeah, we're going to continue with that here because number five, this is. I think Denver can finish last place in the NFC or AFC West, and it won't be because it's a bad football team. Agreed. It's because this division is loaded. I'm going with the Los Angeles Chargers at number five, and, and I actually thought about putting them higher on this list because I think the upside. For this team, if everything clicks, they could be a front runner to get to the Super Bowl. Justin Herbert has been such a revelation his first two seasons. He's only going to get better. He's got Mike Williams and Keenan Allen on the outside. They've got a solid group of running backs. The offensive line they've bolstered. You've got Corey Lindsley at center, his second season with the team. Rashawn Slater at left tackle. Year two is only going to get better. And then on defense, you already had Joey Bosa, and then, oh, by the way, we're going to go trade for Khalil Mack, who I still think could be a very dominant player. They signed J.C. Jackson, the top cornerback in free agency. You've got Derwin James at safety. This team has the star power to be a real threat in the AFC. They always seem to get in their own way, but I could see that changing this year, and that's going to be a very difficult game for the Seahawks in Week 7. Even if there are only five Chargers fans in the stands that game, this is still going to be a a very difficult opponent for anybody to beat this year. Yeah, five years ago, they certainly got one less than me. <laughs> anyway, um, for number four, we're going to stay in the NFC West, or excuse me, AFC West, and another team that's just dripping with talent and upside, the Las Vegas Raiders. I think that's going to be, you throw in Las Vegas, you throw in Chandler Jones mixing with Max Crosby, Devontae Adams. This is going to be one of the biggest shows in football this year, I believe, just with all the factors that go into this organization, the stadium. I've been inside. I've watched a game in that stadium. It is a phenomenal facility. Just a lot of things going right for Las Vegas, and it's going to be – they're going to be tough out. I think they're going to be – you know, if if they can come out on top of this division or near the top of this division, no one is going to want to play them in January. I guarantee you that, especially if it's a home game. Um, So for for me, I think Derek Carr and company – are, are going to be a really, really tough opponent. Yeah, and you add Devontae Adams to the mix on offense, too. Yeah, that team Ooh. is just loaded. I, and, again, that's the AFC West for you. 
it's just a dominant division. Now at number three, I was torn on, we have a couple teams left here. I was torn on this one, but I'm going to go with Tom Brady and the Buccaneers at number three. And obviously Tom Brady was retired for about 15 seconds and then he decided to change his mind. So he will be back. He's going to turn 45 this season. At some point, father time is going to catch up with him, but I don't believe it's going to be this year, at least from the team standpoint. I expect the Buccaneers are going to be one of the top teams in an NFC that quite frankly has lost a lot of talent at the quarterback position. And it really is going to be a pretty weak conference. The AFC is stacked. So there's a prime opportunity for Tampa Bay to get back to the Super Bowl potentially. Seattle playing them in Germany might be a benefit because you're not having to play at their home stadium. Uh, but nonetheless, this is still a team with a lot of talent. They've got a really good uh, duo of receivers and Mike Evans and Chris Godwin's going to be coming back from injury. They've got good pass rushers, a stout run defense. So I think Tampa Bay is going to remain a factor in the NFC, and that's going to be a tough game for the Seahawks. Number two, it's going to be the Kansas City Chiefs, and I know they lost Tyreek Hill. They've lost a little bit of that of their juice there, but this for me is more the timing and the location of the game. Obviously, Arrowhead Stadium can rival any facility in sports as far as a home field advantage, and th- and put that on top of playing on Christmas Eve. It's going to be cold. It's going to be it's you know a holiday night. Santa's going to be you know, flying around a sleigh somewhere near Kansas City. It's going to be an electric atmosphere. And Patrick Mahomes, if I don't know if you've heard, still is a pretty good quarterback with or without Tyreek Hill. And they, they've added a couple of weapons to Sky Moore. I'm pretty I'm pretty intrigued by their, their draft pick. Um, so and Frank Clark, obviously ex Seahawk, is 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 looking for another big year for the Chiefs. So this for me is a, a, yeah again more of the location at Arrowhead Stadium, a tough place to play on on a, on a holiday night or a holiday a holiday, and it's going to be uh, a pretty pretty fun atmosphere, but. Uh, anti-Seahawks. Yeah, and last but not least, got to go with the Rams. To me, this is the easiest one. I mean, the defending champions, and all they did is keep 95% of their roster together and then add, they brought in Allen Robinson, a receiver who has been underrated for years because he's never had a quarterback. Now he has one in Matthew Stafford. You put him with Cooper Cup. And then on defense, eh, kind of familiar name, Bobby Wagner now joining a unit that already had Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. Yeah. This team is going to be a favorite to get back to the big game and repeat as Super Bowl champions. And Seattle, those two games late in the year, it's going to be tough sledding for them to even be competitive in those two games against the Rams. I'm expecting that this team is going to be vying for that number one seed again in the NFC. And I expect that they're going to be playing deep into January with the talent that they've got on both sides of the football. As always, we greatly appreciate you making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And make sure to check out the Locked on NFL podcast for your second listen. The schedule may be dark, but the NFL never stops, and neither does Locked on NFL. Get your insights and opinions from hosts, including Ross Jackson, Chris Carter, and Tony Wiggins, plus local Locked on NFL hosts repping all 32 squads. There's no offseason for real fans, so make sure you're subscribed to Locked on NFL on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Nick at Nick Lee 51. When we return next week, Rob Rang will be rejoining me on Monday. The two of us will continue our Inside the Draft series with fifth round pick Tyreek Smith and much more. Enjoy your weekend. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.